0: This podcast is hosted by Tony Clomax, director, writer extraordinaire and Dr. Tammy L. Holmes of We Learn LLC, an educational consulting firm. The purpose is to talk to a litany of professionals in various fields to learn how they do it and why they do it while getting their take on a wide range of topics. We cover politics, health and wellness, education, entertainment, social justice, current events, and more. So thanks for coming by, grab a drink, take a seat, and enjoy the ride. Hey everyone, this is Tony Clomax, writer-director extraordinaire with my co-host,
1: Dr. Tammy L. Holmes,
0: and this is What's the Sauce, and we have a wonderful, wonderful guest for episode four. I've known this beautiful woman, this young woman, so smart and accomplished. I've known her now for, uh, I think, 12 years. And Dr. Tamia Holmes, can you give us uh, a nice little introduction?
1: Today on episode four of What's the Sauce, we welcome Emeline Stewart. After executive Producing several film and TV projects, Emeline Stewart decided to launch the October Film Festival, OFF, in 2012. OFF was created to educate, empower, and inspire filmmakers. After several years of hosting the festival in rented venues, Emily opened Stewart Cinema and Cafe, an independent movie theater located in New York. This popular movie theater is now the home for the October Film Festival. In addition, Emily recently launched Stewart Cinema On Demand, her own video on-demand platform that will eventually be a part of a distribution package she is creating for independent filmmakers.
0: Wow, that is really impressive. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Emily Stewart to the show. Welcome, Emily.
2: Thank you thank you, Tony and Dr. Holmes for having me. I really appreciate this.
0: When you hear someone read your bio, how does it feel?
2: Unreal. Mm-hmm. Unlikely. Almost like a miracle.
0: Let's talk about your journey here. Now I know that you were in the military, right? Yes. How many How many years were you in the military? Two. And once you got out of the military, talk about your journey from the military to getting into the entertainment business.
2: So I, um, you know, Wall Street girl, worked in corporate America uh, for over 20 years. But uh, in that process, someone gave me a script. I thought it was funny. I didn't know anything about the business. I did have some friends in the business, but I didn't really know anything. And I thought, wow, this is really funny. It's funny to me as I was reading it at Starbucks. And then I thought, wow, I really want to help this guy make this film. So I called him up and I said, what do you need? And he said everything he had never Mm -hmm. directed. This was his first writing. And I said, you know what? I'm going to help you. And uh, because I there was something about this guy who had a dream and a vision, but didn't have the resources. And at the time, I had some money. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to invest it in this. And everybody said, you're going to lose all your money. Short films don't make any money. You know, it's your first one. Don't spend too much money. Of course, I spent a lot of money. But then when it started winning awards, I really became inspired. And I thought, wow, I could do this for a lot of people, as long as I figure out how to make money in the process. Um, And that was sort of the mission. Like, how do I do this? and create a business model that's going to generate money. Mm. And that really was the start of taking me out of the corporate sector and into the entertainment business. It was the desire to help, to provide resources, and to just, you know, be able to control the narrative. I thought that was amazing. I was like, wow, so people can see what I want them to see. And really, the movie theater is an extension of that.
0: Now... We met. It was some. It was like a producer's think get, tank. Think tank. A producer's think tank. And we met each other. Think. I don't know if Miles Maker put that together. Yep, okay. Miles he sure Maker did. put that together. Miles now is in L.A. doing exotic, erotic <laughs> photography. Um, hey, I'm. I'm glad he found his lane. He's doing well my man yeah. and Miles Maker. And so that's how we met. You know, you found out that I was writing a web series. That's right. And it was so interesting because I don't know if you remember this, you kind of like slid me a hundred dollar bill. Do you remember this? You slid, no. you, you slid me a hundred dollar bill and you said, here, honey, this is for your production. You don't remember this? You gave no. it? yeah. So this is this is when I went out and shot the first three episodes, and I think around that time you were just like in the space and you were supporting a lot of people, and yes. I, and I don't I don't think that you knew if I was going to go through with it. But I that's think true. so. When when you saw that, oh wait a minute, this guy went out. He shot those three episodes, and then that's when. We um, combined forces and mm-hmm. we were um, producing 12 Steps to Recovery, which, yes. you know, went off for two years. And we won yes. award after award after award and film festivals uh, for two years. Talk about some of the accomplishments of 12 Steps to Recovery.
2: Wow. That's probably one of my favorites for many reasons. Number one is that we were able to employ, if you may, um, about 80 African-American actors from New York, from LA. A lot of them now are in, on TV shows. They're making movies. If you think about, you know, even Hill that now have gone on to do great things. We were their first TV credit. And that really, for me, was because that's where my heart is right is in is in helping and supporting filmmakers and actors so that for me was like i get to do this that was the biggest thing for me so i 12 step to recovery for me will always be my first victory in supporting the arts and and that sort of gave me access to really understand what people were doing, what they needed. It also allowed me to really get a handle on the game because money is not the answer. I learned that from 12 steps to recovery. And that's when I really started building my influence and resources in terms of people and connections and the networks and the executives. And I really understood that even though I could fund a show, if I can't get them to pick it up, I'm kind of stuck, right? And 12 Steps to Recovery was an amazing show. And I think the only thing that was lacking was those particular connections, right? Because um, we, were, we were at the same level, if not higher than Awkward Black Girls.
0: Yeah, we were first. Right.
2: That was that was our that was sort of our like colleague in the game at the time. Um, and so that I got I learned a lot from producing 12 steps to recovery. And um, you know, it really opened a whole new world for me and set me on track to get to where I am today for sure. So I thank you for allowing me to be involved with that.
0: It was a great time.
2: I really appreciated the fact that you let me do what I do and I let you do what you do. Yeah. So you never tried to, I, and I <laughs> think in that regard, yeah, I think in that regard, we had a great partnership. Mm-hmm. I was like, what do we need? I'll help you get what we need. And then you do what you do. Right. You know, if that's arroz con pollo on the set, <laughs> <laughs> if that is a place, whatever it is, if it's a place in Harlem, if it's drinks, if it's, and I had no issue with going to the store and picking up juice and making sure everybody was good.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and that's what I like to do. And I appreciate the fact that you never tried to ask me to do something that you knew I, A, didn't want to do, and B, wasn't good at. You let me thrive at what I did best. I think, so I thank you for
0: that. Well, thank you. I, I think it's important to, I, I hate when filmmakers take advantage of people who are trying to get into the game, who's trying to learn and mm-hmm. just take advantage of them for free labor. Yeah. My thing yeah. is I want to empower people Uh Put them in positions where they can learn. Yeah. And as you know, eighty-five to ninety percent of my assistant directors were women who wanted to be directors. Yes. You know, and uh, Gregory Vilfrank had never scored music Uh for Uh you know a a, a TV show or film. Yeah. He was hitting, hitting me up in email. He got his mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, so a lot of people got their opportunities with 12 steps recovery. So yes, it's definitely, you know, they look back and like, Oh, it's their first love, which mm-hmm. is, you know, which is a great thing. But we, we definitely went through a lot, you know, with, um, punch TV studios, uh, m- remember, Sh- you know, <laughs> you, and you remember when we, we thought we were getting a, sh- uh, getting a series on BET and yes. and how we were talking to all these different people and then they were doing this overhaul. And it was just, it was a lot, but it was a learning experience. Yes. And, uh, and I'm just glad that we got to do it um, together. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, I would do
2: it again. Me, I would definitely do it. People say, you know, would you go back and which projects would you would you do again if you had an opportunity? And probably Twelve Steps to Recovery is is my first love and top of my list.
0: And we could do it. We could do it bigger and better. That's right. That's you know? right. I
1: do want to talk a little bit more about your film festival, the October Film Festival, for our audience. I know, according to uh, what I've read thus far, it started in 2012. And that it has its journey, and I kind of wanted to highlight a few things about that. If you would kind of share with our audience um, a few of those highlights, key to mention: uh, you're starting 2012, and then you actually your Stewart Cinema and Cafe purchase or renovation 2018, correct? Mm-hmm. And then also talking about how in this past year during the pandemic that you were still able to put on your film festival during COVID in a non-virtual atmosphere. And the fact that you were able to do your film festival for free. So if you can kind of talk your way through 2012 up into the current and hit some of those highlights, that journey for our audience, that would be great.
2: So the festival really started because I was traveling to all of these film festivals and I found I was traveling alone. So the first problem I had was that no one was really making sure I was okay. No one was making sure that I was meeting people. Most festivals were just showing my film and sending me home. And there was one time I couldn't, I missed my own screening because I didn't really understand where I was supposed to be. (laughs) And it was too far from the place that, that I had, I had attended a, um, like a, uh, producer conference. Then I had to go to my screening. I couldn't find it. It was too far. You know, there was no like map or guidance. And so not that they were disorganized, but that they weren't really providing the support that as a as a woman in particular by myself in a city that i'm unfamiliar with and people i don't know trying to navigate that was an issue and so i thought that was a problem i wanted to resolve by having my own film festival the other thing is i felt that the festivals were really really political who's in your film how what your budget was who you know and so i learned that firsthand i went to a film festival with a short film that was not good. It wasn't that great. And I was at that festival and I know that my film was selected because of who I was, because I had invested some money in different things that were happening at that festival. Um, And it was really devastating for me to be sitting in in a theater and my short is playing with all of these amazing shorts. And so immediately I know I have no business being there right? But that festival was very political. And it was all about the connections that I was helping them to make, and all these other things that had nothing to do with the film. And what made matters worse was I won. And so now I had to walk past all these amazing (laughs) filmmakers to get this award. I think it was the shortest speech ever. It was like, thank you. And good (laughs) night. because I, I just, I couldn't even, I couldn't even speak. I felt so bad because maybe no one knew, but I knew. And that was a problem for me. And I thought, well, why don't I just start a film festival? That's not political. Where people, it doesn't matter who's in your film. doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter if we're friends. It's all about the work. And if the work is good, then we will screen it and we will do all we can to help you. Also, in, in situations where you have to network, I'm great with working a room, but a lot of people aren't. And these mm. festivals have these events and they stick you in a room with these people and there's no effort to make sure that you're connecting with people, even with the right people, right? And so, October Film Festival is great at that. I know every filmmaker who's screening. They have an opportunity to speak to me. Some film festivals, I don't even know who the owners are. I don't know who the founders are. (laughs) You never see them. Um, And so I really wanted to create a festival that number one was not political. Number two was based on the work. And also that really provided resources and that really helped people to network. One of the things that we do well is allowing people to connect and to grow their audience. And that brings me to why the festival is free. One of the reasons I decided to make the festival free for everyone to attend, whether you're coming to an event or whether you're coming to watch a movie, is because sometimes I, people in the community may not come out to watch a movie they've never heard of if they have to pay for it. And I thought, you know what? In order to really help these filmmakers grow their audience, I'm going to allow people to come for free to watch these movies. And while the filmmakers are there, We give them food, they get drinks, they are able to bring their cast and crew for free. Because imagine now you're in an independent film and you worked for free, let's say, or maybe they gave you lunch or or whatever it is. And now you also have to pay to watch the film that you were in for free. That puts the director, the producer, in a tough situation because maybe they can't afford to pay for 20 tickets for the casting crew to come and watch the film. And maybe this is the only opportunity that they'll get to see it in a theater. So I thought, well, why don't we eliminate that issue? And so now that I own the venue where the festival takes place, I have the ability to do that. And so we, even our award night, we feed, it's award brunch, actually, we feed people. So even the audience and the the clients come in and they eat for free, and they get to watch the award show. But otherwise, maybe these people would not come out. And if the point is to help filmmakers grow the audience, we have to facilitate that. And one of the problems is people don't want to pay. So that That led me to um, having the festival for free.
0: Now, you know, people are listening to this and they're like, "Okay, Emmeline, Mother Teresa Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) How the business model, how are you making money?
1: Monetizing it.
0: Yeah. How do you monetize this?
2: So the film festival itself, how how do I monetize that? So there's a couple of ways. Number one is we have sponsors. In the past, we had Mercedes-Benz as a sponsor, but the venue cost $16,000 for four days.
0: Mm. So
2: most of the sponsorship money went to the venue and then they treated us like dirt anyway. Oh, no. Um, And that's another example of why I say to you, Tony, that money is not the answer. We had a film festival at a venue on the Lower East Side and I paid a ton of money for the space. I offered to pay additional money in case the filmmakers ran over, and we were in the middle of a QA and a and they shut the lights.
0: The audacity.
2: The woman basically said, you know, my workers have to go home, and your filmmakers are talking too much. This this Q&A is taking too long. This is the most important part. (laughs) I gave you a credit card, and I said to you, Right. Feel free to charge whatever you want, because I am not going to cut this short. It's not about the money. It was about all these black people in this space. And we don't feel like staying here longer than we have to. So even though they could have charged me, they made a decision to turn off the lights. And so now we're carrying the step and repeat out in the dark to the street. Mm-hmm. That was the time that I said, this will never happen again. I'm going to open up my own shit. <laughs>
1: right. And I
2: will decide when That's the lights right. get shut off. <laughs> because it wasn't about the money. Because I had offered more money.
0: Ownership. Ownership. That, and that is that is so key, ownership. Are you the only Afro-Latina owner of a theater in, in, New York, yes. oh, in New York, yes. Yeah.
2: Or in New York. There's one more, I think, in Detroit. But yeah, it's me.
0: Okay, so it's you and, and s- not just someone me. in Detroit. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I'm also the only self funded Wow. Black Latina owned. So I went to try to get loans. And you know, I've been raising money for years. I've mm-hmm. raised money for films that nobody ever saw. Um, But for this, because I wanted to serve filmmakers and artists, no one would give me money. Basically, the idea was filmmakers are poor. They don't have any money. So how are you going to make money? This is not going to make money because they can't afford to pay. Right. I wanted music artists. That's why we have a stage. I wanted music artists to have a place where they could perform without having a promoter charging them three hundred dollars to sing and then taking all the money at the door. Right. I wanted them to be able to get their own place and control the money. But for that, no one would give me money. And so I went to the bank and the bank did not feel that this was a good business idea because of the idea of catering to filmmakers. That was the problem. And so I went to an investor uh, who had given me money before. We had talked about this before it you know, became a reality. And he had said, oh yeah, that sounds great. Uh, so when I met with him, he said, you know, I still think it's a great idea, but I feel like you should have a partner. Why don't you talk to John? Because maybe the two of you together can make this happen. Why do I need John if I'm bringing half the money to the table, and John has no money? Right. Because you would feel more comfortable if there was a John involved. Mm-hmm. And I walked out of that meeting and liquidated all my assets and built the theater.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember.
2: Because I, I, I'm not going to go get John, and John has no money. John has no power. He doesn't understand what I'm doing. But because you would feel more comfortable. We're not doing that. We are not doing that. And I was coming to the table with 50% of the money. So I was just asking the investor to match it.
0: Right. You got skin in the game.
2: Tons of skin in the game. And I, so I walked away and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to do this by myself. And during COVID, it turned out to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't have to ask permission to stay open, to turn the theater into a community center, I basically could do what I wanted. And today, if I want to have a film festival and not charge anyone, I don't have to ask anybody permission to do that.
1: And no one can turn the lights out. That's right.
0: We have to address the elephant in the room. (laughs) What is that? Being a woman of color, being in these spaces that are dominated by men, dominated by white men, Talk about how you had to navigate in these spaces and and the obstacles and hurdles that you had to go through as a woman of color. Talk about those things, because there are people at home that feel like they're little black and brown girls feel like, "Mm, I don't know if I can do that.
2: You know, before I started building the theater, you know, I you witnessed some of the stuff that I had to deal with. But. The biggest challenge I would say was building the theater because it was a warehouse. So I was converting it from a warehouse that had trucks parked in it to a movie theater that I had envisioned in my head where I wanted the wall to go, the lighting. And I get these contractors coming in, not wanting to do what I asked, Mm -hmm. even though I'm paying, Mm -hmm. because what do I know? What Mm -hmm. do I know? And I... Ended up having to fire several contractors because it it they just they were like, yeah, no, I we hear what you're saying, but we're not gonna do it that way. Well, yeah, but it's my money right. and it's my vision. Yeah. No, yeah, but but I I got a lot of that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And that was a challenge. And then I had to deal with the studios, all the movie studios, mm-hmm. right? And so I am this little movie theater in Brooklyn. I had not been dealing with distributors on theatrical releases. And so that was a whole hurdle. There was a lot of credit checking um, that I don't still don't really understand if that's common practice or if that was just because it was me per se. Um, But that. That was a struggle, just understanding that, because that also is a male dominated industry. So the construction was a male dominated industry. Then I'm dealing with food vendors, right? Because I have a cafe, a full cafe with all kinds of food, and I'm trying to navigate the health department and all of that. Um, and because I didn't really have any experience, I've never, you know, some people have worked at McDonald's when they were kids, I never did any of that. So I didn't really understand the whole food business. Um, and I couldn't find mentors or people willing to help me, because there is a lot of competition in the food industry. Right. And it was very, very difficult. So it was trial and error. Um And then once the place was built, then I had all these great offers for different things, right? Now people are still talking about franchising and we're trying to figure all of that out, right? Right. Um, But even then it's franchising so that we could take it over and run it the way we want. No. Because even with a proven financially successful business plan, Still there's question about whether it works or not. Now it's does it work long term? First it was it wouldn't work at all. Now I've proven that it works, but now it's like well yeah, but still will it work long term? And so there's always a hurdle. So it, it just never ends. And so there are major challenges. You know, one of the things you were saying is it's true when I walk into the room I have to prove myself Every single time. I'm exhausted. I am freaking exhausted. I am in the room because I'm supposed to be in the room. Because I've earned my place. But still, when I walk in there, I still have to go through my bio. They still have to Google me. And there's still this check. I have to check all these boxes. No one else in the room has to do that. Why do I have to do that? Because they want to make sure I belong. Because it doesn't appear by looking at me that I belong. All right. And so the answer to that moving forward is I own the room and you're the guest. So you check the list.
1: There you go. Mm.
0: And, and take your shoes off at the door.
2: That's <laughs> right. I'm
0: tired. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. <Bullshit. laughs> I, I, I'm going to say this. A lot of people, a lot of people loosely use this term boss. And it is a clear fact that Emily Stewart mm-hmm. is a true boss. The proof is in the pudding. And, and, I, and one of the things that I admire so much about you is that you share knowledge you share your experience and you're always trying to help people. And, and as you know, we came into this space, a lot of people aren't trying to help. Yeah. You know, and they feel like, and sadly, a lot of, it's not a lot of people of color. And so it's almost like we're competing for the same crumbs. and So people feel a little protective. And I think, your approach, and I like to think my approach as well, is like, you know mm-hmm. what? I'm all about energy and, and I'm going to share. I'm going to give. And what's mine is mine. And I, the energy is going to return and come back to me. And, and if I, I
2: love that about you.
0: Well, thank you. A lot of people say, well, you know, why haven't you, you know, directed an episode of television yet? And why haven't you done this yet? And this and that. It's going to happen. And when it happens, it's it's going to happen at the right time, you know, and I'm building all of this knowledge and experience, but I'm also getting an opportunity to share what I know on a, on an academic level with future filmmakers. And, um, but just know that you are one of my inspirations, which, which, (laughs) which leads me to this question, who are your five industry inspirations
2: so some of my inspirations are not in the industry because i'm a business person okay well let's hear so uh oprah of course okay uh hillary clinton mm. michelle obama yes stacy abrams mm-hmm. i i would have to say yeah and barack obama wow these are people who I believe the odds were not in their favor, and they still did what they wanted to do. And I feel that's, that's often my situation. The odds are not in my favor. I am usually the underdog, but that has not stopped me from trying. I was going to build this movie theater, and if it failed, then it failed, but I was going to do it. And that's been true with the industry, right? I'm going to make this movie. And if nobody sees it, then nobody sees it. But by gosh, it's going to get done. And so that is sort of my attitude. And those are people who have, who have done that. And they were unlikely to succeed. The industry has lots of, the entertainment industry has lots of great people. But I think there's a lot of stuff that we don't see. And there's a lack of transparency
0: mm-hmm. oh, from yeah. the
2: top all the way down. Yes. That's why we hear about it when they're already dead. Right? right. And then we're like, what? what? Why would they kill themselves? Why would why were they using drugs? Why were they? You know, we see it all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that happens in the entertainment world that people don't talk about. Yes. You know, dollar bill is my example.
0: <laughs> dollar dollar bill. <laughs> you, y'all.
2: I'm going to let you tell that story. But that's that's like something that really impacted me. And, and he may be dead for all we know. I don't know where he is, right?
0: <laughs> Emily and I, we were talking about distribution of 12 Steps Recovery with mm-hmm. a um, cable network. And the yeah. guy who owned the cable network, pretty much, and, and these are the words, and I'm going to quote him, <laughs> I'll never forget this, y'all need to learn to crawl before you walk. And the way he said it, he sounded like some gutter pimp.
2: And that was directed at me. Though. And, and he was
0: talking to Emelyn and not necessarily to me. And I could fry an egg on <laughs> Emily. She, you know, was a. I, it was. I was in shock. My, I, I couldn't believe it. And, and I don't know if we, I don't know if we grabbed a drink after that or I don't know, but you, it, it lit a fire under you Yes. and it, it, it bothered me and he didn't even direct it to me. It was for you. And I yeah. know how you felt. And I'm sure that just happens all the time.
2: It happens all the time, all the time, because, you know, what I understood him to say at that moment was, you're not ready. You don't deserve what you want. You haven't earned what you want. Mind you, you have no idea where I've been. Right. You don't know where I've come from. You you don't know. What you know is that you have the power to shut me down Mm -hmm. and you're going to use it. And that really, really bothered me. I think we talked the next day and you were like, hey, you okay? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wiped my butt with what he said, you know?
0: Right, exactly. But,
2: but it, it, it was, but all along the way, all of these things have just motivated me.
0: Yes.
2: To have ownership, to control the narrative. Because you're right, there are a lot of people who don't want to help. Mm-mm. Because they feel threatened. We see that mm-hmm. a lot, especially in our community. And so I am just, i all this stuff just motivates me to oh. just continue to, to build, to share, and to empower people like myself who, who don't have a voice, um, who don't have access.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, with regards to you directing a TV show or, or any of those things that you long to do mm-hmm. it's a matter of time yes it is just a matter yeah. of time and no time that you have spent doing what you're doing now is wasted
0: yeah I believe because that.
2: those those same students are your audience yes and and you are going to have an advantage that other filmmakers don't have
0: thank you so True. yeah
2: it's just it's just a matter of time baby it's True. a matter of time yep
1: so I want to ask you a couple other questions, and this mm-hmm. is for because you are you and Tony are more in the industry of the filmmakers, but for a general audience who might not be as much into the general audience, we can talk about the independent filmmaker, okay? Very broadly, uh, mm-hmm. also commonly known as indies, right? Or yeah. the films of indies. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of relate to them more appealing? maybe what are, what can we do to maybe support more independent films or even perhaps what do independent films offer or filmmakers offer stories that maybe big budget films do not? So
2: just, there's a couple of misconceptions. Um, an indie film does not mean that it is a film that was cheaply made. That is a misconception. There are indie films that have budgets of over $5 million, okay? So that so the idea that indie films are cheaply made in someone's living room and we're running through the street guerrilla style, yes, that happens, but that's not the majority of independent films. The other thing is, when you look at Parasite, right, Parasite, the movie, that was an independent film. There's a lot of examples of very, very successful, publicly successful independent films. But there's also a lot of independent films that are successful that don't go theatrical that maybe you've never heard of. So there's also this misconception that indie films go into this tunnel of never, 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 and nobody ever sees them. Um, Netflix, Hulu, a lot of these, Amazon Prime, a lot of these streaming platforms are streaming a lot of independent films, and they are getting an audience. So I also think that what independent films offer, you know, that's that's a good question. I don't think that they should be separated from what a mainstream new release studio film offers. There is an audience for everything. And so the idea that independent films offer something different is not really accurate. It is still a story, um, you know, there are still great actors. And, and on some of these independent films have actors that you would know, that you would recognize. So I almost hate the fact that there's two categories, that people talk about studio films and then independent films, especially because now studios are making independent films, right? They don't get what makes an independent film. It doesn't get full theatrical release. Well, there's thousands and thousands of films made per month. And only three or two make it to the theater. So, where are all those other films going? They're going somewhere. Because it cannot be that only the studio films have an audience and are making money. So, I uh, am showing new releases. Right now, we're showing Mortal Kombat. On Friday, we're opening Wrath of a Man. But we also show independent films that are not so um, mainstream, like Minari. Um, so, we I definitely, I hate the distinction. And I don't think that there's anything different being offered independent versus mainstream studio films. I think people are getting the same things. They're getting great directing, good acting. You know, they may not get the A-listers, but all the other elements are there. Right.
1: And even maybe more equal representation, yeah. diversity. Absolutely. Thought-provoking stories, those types of things might be Mm -hmm. more in the representation of those particular films. Absolutely.
0: Emily, what advice would you give filmmakers on preparing a quality film for a festival run?
2: So this is something I go through every year. This is year nine for us. We're actually talking to the Academy about getting the festival to be one of the festivals that when the film wins at the festival, it automatically qualifies for the Oscars. So we're working on that aspect of it. But the synopsis is important. I cannot stress <laughs> because if, if you cannot sell your film, in two or three sentences, that's a problem. Yes. And so that is one of the first things that when you send your film in, that's looked at. Before they even see the film, they're, before they even see who's in the film, right? What your budget is, any of that. They're, they're reading your synopsis. And that is your introduction to your film. And Tony, you need to teach these film students about writing a great synopsis. Because we have judges um, who view our films. And I know, Tony, you've been a judge for like our web series uh, categories in the past. And that's the first thing that they look at and it forms an opinion before they even see the content. Right. So if you're submitting your film, to a film festival, make sure that your synopsis explains your film to someone who's never seen it and that generates interest. That's important. I think also lighting, sound. Now that I own a movie theater and all the films are now shown, you know, we have a DCP projector and all this other stuff, but now that it's shown in a movie theater, The quality is super important when we were, you know, in an auditorium or in a conference room or, you know, in a, in a four wall space and we didn't have surround sound and we didn't have all these things. It wasn't a big deal, but now it really, really matters. One of the interesting things that we did last year was we, we partnered up with an organization for the blind And we have legally blind people who have worked at the theater because they have a desire to be in the industry, but they have this handicap. And so we um, made accommodations and we had them work. And one of the things we did was we had them be judges on the film. And for Mm. them, it was a whole different experience because they couldn't really see the film well, but they could hear. Mm -hmm. And so they had a different perspective than all the other judges because they were basing it on sound, but more on the writing of the story, which we don't always get emphasis on because Mm -hmm. people can see. And if it looks nice, you know, and it sounds okay, then they're all right. They're not really focusing on whether it's great writing. These people actually focused on the story because they were listening to the story. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: they could tell if the acting was good or bad by how the lines were delivered. Right, And it was a whole, and so it was interesting to see the films that were selected by that group versus our regular um, judges who were watching and, and, and listening to it. It also was interesting to see how the scores changed when the judges saw the films in the theater. Yes. Versus when they saw them on their laptop. Suddenly, a movie that was just kind of okay on their laptop Mm -hmm. was amazing when they saw it in the theater. And that, and I wonder how many films would be received better if they got theatrical distribution. Right. Because something about the community of watching film really impacts how films are received. And that's another reason why I opened the theater because this way, there isn't one guy who gets to decide if your movie goes to a movie theater, if it gets theatrical distribution. You, the filmmaker, get to decide. And if you want to see your movie in a movie theater for a week, two weeks, a month, a weekend, you get to decide that. And you get the money. I'm not taking all your money like the movie theater does, and then cutting you a check after I take out all these fees you didn't know about. You pay me a fee, you rent the space, I make sure your movie plays to the best that it can, and you collect the money. And the theater is set up so that every time you rent it, you will make money. That was part of what I thought was missing. And that also came from, I had my first faith-based film, Tony. And uh, yeah, yeah, The Turnaround. And it did really, really well on Mm -hmm. Pure Flex. I think we got 2.1 million views and I was trying to get theatrical distribution for it. And this one guy who was going to be sort of the decision maker basically said, "I I don't see an audience for this in theaters. You know, this is not Tyler Perry. This isn't Passion of the Christ. I I don't I don't see it, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking all he kept saying to me was I don't see it, and I'm thinking, well, what does that got to do? Because you don't see it, right? So you don't see it because you don't understand my audience. So that's it. Game over. I have to walk out of here, and now I can't get any theatrical distribution for this film because you don't see it. And that was another factor in I'm going to build a movie theater. And if a filmmaker sees their film should be in a theater, then that filmmaker will have the power to do that. And not AMC, where you're paying $3,000 per screening, which then means that your screening in a theater becomes a budget item so now you have to budget three you're not going to make money this is this is an expense on top of making your film you now have an expense every time a group sees it of three thousand dollars and with those numbers you can't make money because at 100 seats three thousand dollars for one screening You have to charge over $30 for somebody to see a movie they've never heard of. It's not happening. It's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. Right. So nobody can sustain that. That's why you don't see independent filmmakers doing theatrical distribution on their own in these big theaters because the numbers don't make sense. Mm -hmm. Right. You're going to lose money. So that was part of the theater as well. You can now, you know, Put your movie in the theater for a week, whatever. Collect the money based on whatever you think your audience can handle. And promote it the way that you want. So that then led me to building my own Netflix.
0: Tell us about that.
2: I have the theater. I now have a connection with 30 theaters nationwide. Because we're all using the same platform for our video on demand. And so my idea is that a filmmaker could get a distribution deal that would include being in my theater for a week, being in a theater in LA for a week. So that automatically qualifies you to apply for the Oscars. So we got that out of the way. And then we can go on video on demand, not just in New York, but nationwide. So now your film will live on my platform, but all these other movie theater platforms as well. And that'll be an extension of the theater run, right? And this way, you're not committed, and the theater's not committed to having to keep your movie in the theater for four weeks, six weeks. They could do a week. And then you can still make money. The other issue is, I didn't want to build a platform that required subscriptions because I think that we are oversubscribed right now. So, So the platform is built so that if you want to watch a movie, you want to rent it or buy it, you go on there, you pay $7, you watch a movie and you keep it moving. That is perfect. Not so much for me from a business perspective, but for the filmmaker, because nobody wants to have to subscribe to a new platform to watch your film. But if I can go on the platform, pay one fee, watch it, and then leave, I'm good. And the other thing we were doing with this platform is a lot of the platforms that you go on, and I'm not going to mention names, but you get very little money per view, mm-hmm. right? So you get maybe $0. two cents, three cents, four cents. You know, the more generous ones gives you $0. 40 cents per view. With my platform, it's a 50-50 split. So it's $7. Every time somebody watches it, I get $350, you get $350. Boom. No more, no more fees. Wow. That's it. So I don't have this complicated accounting thing where I'm gonna charge you for the marketing and then I'm charging you for running the platform and then I'm charging you for the guy who put it up and then I'm charging you for the conversion. And I'm we're not doing that. Just basically because math. then you that's it. 50 for you, 50 for me. We're finished, right? So if we can multiply that by 10 other platforms doing the same, you're going to make money. And now you're driving your traffic to this platform. Now, the challenge was, how do I get people to come to a platform they've never heard of, to watch a movie they've never heard of? So I partnered with the studios. And so Sony, Century 21, all of these like Paramount, Universal are giving me their movies and now they're on the platform. So now you go there to watch the matrix. So it's the matrix. It's all this other stuff. And then it's this film that's, that's buffered in the middle of all these major studio releases Ah, because that does something to the psyche, right? People think, well, if this movie's over here with Avengers and the matrix, it must be good. Mm -hmm. Let me check it out. And so the platform is built with studio movies.
0: Oh, that's great.
2: What's going to be added will be the independent films as they come up. And the other thing that I wanted to do was create categories that were of interest to me. So there's films by women of color, films about Brooklyn, films about mothers. Um, and that also allows me to put films in there, that otherwise there's really no place for, which is why some of these platforms, they have seven categories. And if it doesn't fit into that category, you either get squeezed into something that doesn't relate, you know, or you, you can't get on there at all because they have a certain structure they have to follow. I can add categories. I can take them away. Kids, um, but definitely the big thing for me, and it's what took me the longest was getting the studios to give me the movies to put on the platform. Um, and then working out a deal that financially made sense, right? Cause I have to pay to have these movies on the platform. And so, but once that was done and you can see, you know, we have TV shows on there. We have all kinds of stuff, but there, right now it's all studios, so we're building up to the point where I'm going to have a distribution deal that gives you New York, L.A. and a platform. All money making situations for filmmakers.
0: That is awesome. You are a tab. I'm coining it right now. Trailblazer, Angel and Boss.
2: Oh, thank you, baby. That,
0: that that is uh, that's amazing and inspirational. Uh, what you what you think, Dr. Tammy Holmes?
1: I think that you have a model as far as your your theater yeah. that other people are going to need to follow. You've taken how to monetize. I know the classes that I teach. I know the splits of what they take. Mm-hmm. I know what the artists get, no matter what yeah. the industry is. And just from hearing you say that the 50%, it's just just amazing and enormous of what you are offering the creatives and the models that you're bringing and the skills that you took from the corporate and what you're taking and the fuel that you're using from people who told you that you couldn't and using that fuel. (laughs) And there's um, people
2: still telling me I can't. And they're going to (laughs)
1: continue. And the more that you do, the more that they're going to try to. And, uh, you know, just living and honoring and speaking that truth and continuing to carry that flag to the highest hill and the top of the mountain. Uh, my hat is off to you. Thank you. And Thank I'm you so honored that. and thankful that I got a chance to to meet you and taking those those skills. And so I definitely agree with Tony and that you've been able to monetize that through those yes. steps.
2: And I have one last plan.
1: <laughs> and that is.
2: so. One of the other issues we have, and this is sort of what I'm working on now, I want to, and this is why I'm, I'm looking at you, Tony, mm. but I, I want to start a business school for artists mm. out of the theater. Oh, wow. Just teaching business.
0: The business of entertainment.
2: How do you make the connects? How do you monetize the connection? Because every connection is worth money. Yes. And I don't think we understand that. Everyone in my Rolodex is worth money. Mm -hmm. And that's in the industry and out of the industry. So a business school is what's next for me.
0: As we wrap this up, I got to ask something that's very, very important. It's a big debate. I hear people say you, you can't do both. I think you are a perfect example that you can. There's this idea that as a woman... You can't be successful in your career and be a boss and be a great mother. Mm. And if you could speak on that and educate the folks who may think you can't do both, I would love that.
2: That's a whole topic. (laughs) So my uh, kids are now uh, 16 and 17.
0: Teens.
2: Yeah, I have two teenagers in the house, a boy and a girl talk about attitude. Mm -hmm. But um, so I used to stress myself about the balance issue, right? Because everybody's always talking about you have to have balance, you have to have balance. And you know, I had a conversation with Rachel Ray many years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, and I walked into an event where she was at, and I was supposed to be meeting with her and all this stuff. And I was late, and I was rushed. and I was complaining about the kids and this and that and the other thing. And, and I said, I have no balance. She said, you're not supposed to have balance. She said, there is no such thing as balance. It's about being in the moment. Mm -hmm. You were at home an hour ago. You were home. Now you're here. Now you're here. You have to be in each moment separately. You cannot try to combine those two things because you are not going to succeed. You have to just say, when I'm at work, I'm working. When I'm at home, I'm at home. And that was like an aha moment for me. And from that moment on, I really realized that there is quality time to be spent in both areas of my life. Mm. And so I make time for both things, not equally. You know, sometimes I have to work more. Sometimes I have to be home more. And that's okay. And I had to give myself permission to not have balance because I've always been taught that you can't have it unless you balance yourself. There is no such thing. It's in the moment, I'm here, right now, this is what I'm doing. The other thing is when my kids were little, I traveled a lot, always working, and I tortured myself, feeling guilty about not being there all the time. And you know what I realize now that they're teenagers is that when they're little, they belong to whoever feeds them, changes their diaper, <laughs> right? That's who they love. that's who they're with and they're okay, mm-hmm. right? I was driving myself crazy. Now that they're teenagers now is when they need me to be here because they're going through things that are life altering. you know when they' but when they're babies and they're infant, oh my god, I missed the first time they walked. Well, it'll be the first time when I see it. But it it, all of those things (laughs) we torture ourselves about. And it really doesn't matter if they walked yesterday and I missed it. It'll be the first time when I see it. And it'll be amazing. And I'll clap and they won't. It doesn't matter. But all of these things that I thought mattered really did not matter. Now that they're older, they need me here because they need have someone to talk to. They're deciding if they want to go to college, not go to college. If they want to date, not date. All of these like major things. And and even now it's not about me because I think we get this idea that we need to be home. It's not about being home. It's about being present and available because there are a lot of women who are home and are not present and are not available.
1: That's right. If
2: you're home and you're watching TV and everything is going on and you're disconnected, right. Then you're, you might as well not be there. And I think we have this idea that if I'm home, then I'm with my children. How many times have you been with someone and been lonely?
1: Mm, right. Because it's, right. it's
2: not, it's not about the physical.
1: About the relationship. Come on.
2: That's right. That's right. It's, it's about the relationship. And as long as you as a mother, your kids feel that when they need you, you will be there. That's all they need to know. Because they don't need you every day. But they need to know that the day that they need me, be there. I will be there. That's it. And maybe three times in their lifetime, have I had to drop everything and run home. And I did it. But that was three times out of a 20 30 year career. Right, but but we have these ideas that we're taught. I know I'm I'm Dominican, and my mom, you know, would say, "Oh, you have to be home. You are never home. You got to be home." Well, no, I don't have to be home. I have to be present and I have to be available. That's different.
1: That's the sauce. That is the sauce. <laughs> and,
0: and and you like spicy sauce. You like spicy food, like me, don't you?
1: That's Kanye. Si, si. All right, that's good. Kanye sauce with a little sweet. <laughs>
0: that is that is. i like it spicy me too
1: okay spicy <laughs> dr
0: tamiel holmes can't handle the spicy
1: oh don't do me, <laughs> Get out don't, do me. don't do me <laughs> don't count her out yeah <laughs> today uh, she gotta
0: have it mild
1: <laughs> but i do agree with the uh when i teach work life balance chapter mm-hmm. in class mm-hmm. i just tell my students there's no such thing yeah. disregard the title it doesn't exist yeah. It's like sticks exactly. and stones may break my bones. Words never hurt. They lied. Don't believe that. There is yes. no such thing as work-life balance. Don't believe it. They shouldn't even mm-hmm. call it that. Yeah. Because if you seek it, you'll never find it. Never.
0: Emily, it has been a pleasure talking with you, listening to all your gems. How can people find you in social media?
2: So on Instagram, we're Stuart Cinema. Or they can follow Emmeline Stewart. Uh, our website is StewartCinema.com uh, We are we're on all the platforms. Twitter, Stewart Cinema.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm gonna see you in June. About, a, about a month. yeah And uh, and we're gonna celebrate our past birthdays together.
2: Yes. All yes. right.
0: So so sushi. Sushi and drinks. Yes, you're my sushi partner. That's right. (laughs) That is right. All right. So, uh, hey, I love you. Thanks for um, um, blessing our mics.
2: Dr. Holmes, thank you. It was great meeting you.
1: It was nice meeting you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for accepting our invitation.
2: Yeah, stay in touch.
1: And much blessings and much peace and prosperity.
0: Continue.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate
0: that. All right. See you soon. All right. Bye bye everybody bye 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 wow that was uh that was great. what do you think about that
1: there was there was so much that was great um, so many so many jewels and nuggets just seems like fell out of her satchel or sack uh, so much that she had to offer uh, she 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 she's she's i don't you said a boss uh, uh, Tab. Tab, trailblazer, trailblazer angel, angel, and boss. A boss, I would say, a beast, but in a great way. Just mm-hmm. as far as blazing the path that she has done and gone thus far.
0: This is interesting because I've been um, going back and forth with um, one of my students, who is uh, is a student of color. He's black. And um, he feels that racism doesn't exist anymore in 2021. So does Tim Scott. You know, uh, he doesn't think discrimination exists and that if people are experiencing this, it's because of something that they've done. And I'm telling him about people like Emily Stewart, who lives this. People like her experience racism and discrimination throughout their life, but they don't let it stop them. And and just because they are striving and thriving doesn't mean doesn't exist. And um, so I hope he's list- You know he's listening to this episode and understand that we are. We are a resourceful people, you know, black and brown folks. We are resourceful. We're going to we, you give us a little water. We will grow through cement, through the cracks of cement and blossom. And I think that um, Emmeline is a perfect example of that. Um, all the obstacles that she's, uh, you know, that she's gone through in business and in the uh, entertainment business. And you see that she's paving the way and gonna make it easier for the people to come behind her. And sometimes folks think, well, you have to struggle to appreciate it. No, you don't have to struggle to appreciate it. You can you can get into the space, you can prepare for that opportunity. And then once you get into the space, you can thrive. So you don't have to necessarily struggle to appreciate it. But you can sure as hell be thankful for a person who have paved the way, such as um, Emily Stewart.
1: No, I just in reading about her and reading people's comments and testimonials on her social media pages about her film festival, I now understand the consistency of those testimonials. They all were very consistent about the space that she provides and the support and the way her team, and it—it it just it's just consistent with who she is and what she talked about today. And so um, for your student, I would say to him, as my mother would say, just keep on living. Just keep going to bed and getting up. Keep on living. And in due time, he... He shall see and he shall experience. And you know, only some things time will tell. And experience, he'll have to buy that lesson for himself or herself, whoever might be listening. But in ending for today, I would like to quote one of my favorites, the great rapper by Nas. As he would say, life begins right now. Life begins right now. No matter what they say, life begins right now
0: and on that i am tony clomax writer director extraordinaire and this is my co-host
1: dr tammy l holmes
0: and see you next episode take care
1: stay healthy and be well